would help if we're both on the screen. Welcome into Two Man Game here on ClaimsOnline.com. That's Bob Ramsey. I'm Matthew Rocky. We're here to talk a little basketball here. The Billikens, specifically, we're going to talk a little bit about them. Also, do a little bit of NBA talk here. But we have a tough loss for the Billikens, another road loss for the Billikens to break down here. Raymer, before we get into that, how are you doing today? Doing very well. Back from uh, New York um, and uh, kind of took a day to recover, but I'm uh, ready to roll again. It was an up and down week, uh, you know, kind of midweek for early week for all the St. Louis and local teams. The Illini took down number two, Texas at, at MSG. Huge. Sluge str- huge. Huge, huge game. Slew struggles uh, in New Rochelle against Iona. The Blues get... The Blues get their butts kicked by the Rangers and then get a big win against the Islanders. It was yeah. an up and it was an up and down like two three days uh, for for the local squads uh, they, up up, they, in, up in the Big Apple and the Cardinals signed Contreras. So and the, yeah, there you go, down, up and down. <laughs> Not Aaron Judge, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> but that's for another podcast on this fine podcasting network that is Claves Online. You can find that Claves will talk Claves and, and Joe Rod always breaking down that Cardinal stuff as will you and Joe Rod once uh, Daily Cards Live returns once the Cardinals are here, so you can hear you breaking down that new signing for the Cardinals. But we're here to talk a little basketball. It was an eighty-four to sixty-two loss for the Billikens against the Iona Gales, a twenty-two loss. Not what you want to see, obviously, when you go on the road against another mid-conference team like that. Honestly, it didn't start off too bad for the Billikens, but as soon as it broke bad, it started breaking bad pretty hard for them. You know, they were able to keep it around 9, 10, 12 for a long period of time, but then the last seven, eight minutes, really the, the floodgates kind of opened up for those last seven, eight, ten points to get added on to the differential. So let's just dive right in. Let's go, let's go big scope and then kind of you know narrow it down to some of the minutiae, the big problems with what you saw for the Billikens against the Gales. Well, let me support your first point about how the game went. With a, with nine minutes gone, the Bills had the lead. Yeah, it was 15-10 with 10.30 to go. Bills but, lead. But but let me, let me say this. The pace was something like I hadn't seen in a long time. The Billikens were not only keeping up, as I said, they had a lead, but it was fool's gold because then Iona goes on a 10-0 run, protecting the rim, relentless relentless energy, you know, Patino's, uh, there's no reason to be surprised about it. Just that you could get a team to do it. And that is no concessions for even one second for a full 40 minutes. And um, that, the, the, the willingness to sell out on the game plan, um, that's the big picture on how they took over, you know, it didn't matter if a guy looked like he had a layup. Everybody was going to the rim to block the shot. Everybody was going for the loose ball. Everybody was going to get a tipped ball. Um, it, it was a, it was a remarkable effort performance from Iona. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the defense alone was just so unbelievably impressive. I and mean, listen, we're not going to be surprised there. If you look at the the games leading into the the game against St. Louis, not a lot of steals. But the turnover numbers are consistently 14, 16, 17, 17, 14. So, I mean, that it's a hectic style. I do want to give credit to SLU. The turnovers didn't come in that, you know, kind of press they were playing early on. They only really, I think, forced maybe one or two of the 14 turnovers that St. Louis had actually in their own zone like that. So they were able to consistently break that. But it was just bad passes, forced plays, 
And then when they did get actual steals, they were able to turn those into points pretty consistently. Let me give a little more credit to Ionis. A number of the uh, assists came because the willingness of Iona to protect the rim at all costs. And back cuts and interior passes and lobs were all, every pass was contested. Uh, you got that's that's a hard thing to get kids to commit to. And so let's talk a little bit about obviously the post defense right off the bat. Shima, Joseph, and Sunday, kind of a, a you know a three headed hydra, if you will, for the Gales. Obviously, Sunday the, the 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 freshman not as involved, but he had a big first half against the Billikens when Shima and Joseph got some early fouls. What what I saw from those guys, I mean, anytime Slu tried to test them one on one, it went poorly. I will give credit to the St. Louis offense in the first half especially. And I broke this down on Twitter um, on Monday, uh, had their usage of the pick and roll. I thought the slew offense in the first half, especially in those first 10 minutes when they had the lead, I actually thought it was a really good day for their pick and roll. They were actually getting some yep. great slips. They were getting good They were getting good hits inside, uh, yep. and paint touches inside. They weren't really able to finish because they were recovering well, but they still were getting points early from that kind of offense. So – I think there's some credit, obviously, to Shima, Joseph, and Sunday for closing some of that down. But I honestly think we saw a continuance, what we've seen all year, from just the St. Louis offense, which is early in the first half, they go to the pick and roll a lot. But as the game goes on, the pick and roll seems to kind of slowly but surely evaporate from the play call as much, and they just weren't getting any of those same looks. Again, credit to Iona for taking them away, but I just think we've seen a consistent just progression of how they pl- they call these pick and rolls on the St. Louis offense side and that hasn't been rare for this game but it's bad for it's it, it's standing out for me so much in this game because that was the only way they were actually successfully pulling Shima or Joseph away from the basket and then getting attackers behind them or getting attackers free of them and they didn't keep going to it late in the game and what we saw was Iona packing the paint for the cutters and the drives from St. Louis. Well, a couple of things, and it goes specific to the game and maybe the bigger picture as we get to it, and that is the Billikens are really struggling finishing at the rim. Um, And I don't know what it is about human nature, but that we uh, overvalue block shots. Block shots, just a missed shot. Who cares? So what happens is, and it's it's epidemic for the Bills, they got shot blockers. So we go up and fade away or try to make the shot more difficult or stay away or do an extra little reverse crazy spin move or something instead of attacking. And especially the real athletes who can go up and dunk, you've got to go up and dunk every time. And if they block it, fine. Nine times out of ten, you're going to get to the free throw line. That's 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 just the nature of the beast. But the nature of human beings is, oh, my ego was hurt. I didn't like that. I don't want to get another shot blocked. I don't want to be posterized. So I'm going to try and do all this this goofy stuff instead of going strong. That's a real problem, not just this game, but throughout the season. Two, and Travis disagreed with me on radio post game. And it's because he was so frustrated by the comparative lack of effort. Um, If this team is going to be as good as I projected, 
six weeks ago, two months ago. They've got to make shots. Yeah. This team's only shooting 33% from three-point range. Yeah. That's the very low end of acceptable, but it's not championship level. You, yeah. this, this team's got to shoot in the high 30s from three-point range, minimum, to be a championship team. Okay, why is that happening? This is not point of finger. In fact, it's I'm predicting what's coming. Perkins is still gimpy, extremely gimpy, and Sincere Parker hasn't found his Division I legs and where he fits. Yeah, undoubtable. Those two to start shooting, it's all going to change. Now, it doesn't mean that the toughness and the effort level can remain where Travis is unhappy. That's got to elevate too. But that's something you can control. Effort in sports is something that each individual player can control. Making shots is not. That's why I don't blame, you know, I don't uh, I don't blame Jake Forrester for not sh- hitting threes. Let's, you know, it, but you can get you can get disappointed with everybody on effort. If uh, Parker and Perkins can't elevate their game, and they will, they will. But if they don't, this team's got real problems because there's no they don't have any other ways to score. Uh, I love Javante to death, and, and and he he really was forced he really was forcing uh, a lot of looks in this game, and he, and he got a couple good ones, and that's just because he's so immensely talented. But he was forcing a lot, and for me right now, you know what? Fine, force the offensive game. It's going to take you a little bit for it to get get going a little bit. Some of the, the clips I pointed out on Monday, I think, you know, the feel for the game is coming that little, that little uh, over the, over the head kind of drop pass. He hit a Coro uh, against SIU was, it was a beautiful play and he read it perfectly and was off a great drive in the first place. Great little pump fake to set up the, to set up the drive in the first place. So that mental side I think is coming, but yeah, the physical side is still, you know, however you, if you want to do percentage, you know, 15, 20% away. The biggest thing for me and it's such a little thing, and that's why it's 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 I can't stop noticing it. He's not he doesn't shuffle his feet on defense right now. He crosses his legs over every time, and that's because he, just, doesn't, tr- because he doesn't trust the strength in his legs, or the strength's not there yet. And, and the it's same probably thing, a combination. And the same, and it's the exact same thing too. Is just he plays too high. He's playing too high right now defensively. I mean, and, and no, I mean you got. I mean it, it's. It's two very simple technical parts of playing defense in basketball. Is you, you got you you got to shuffle your feet and you got to sit and you got to sit in your stance so you can you can move well. And he's not doing either of those things. And I have a feeling it's it's both physical things. It's not a mental thing. It's not a. I mean, it could be a mental block kind of thing, but it's not a effort kind of thing. He's not doing it because he's not a good defender. He's not doing it because he's lazy. He's doing it because the trust isn't there yet. But I think it's so obvious and. In this game, they didn't really attack him on defense. I thought they they actually did a good job of isolating Tony Hargrove a lot and, and attacking him defensively. But I have to just have to think, especially conference time, if he's still doing those things, these A-10 teams are going to try to isolate and attack him if he's still showing that on tape. All right, uh, a couple more things about that. Um, one is, and it's not because I can get inside his head, but it's because I've had seven knee surgeries. Yeah, Now, you need the physical strength, Mm -hmm. but the part that's hard to measure, quantify, is confidence in those legs to perform. That's the mystery part. 
you can continually work physically to get your strength back. But, you know, he's what, 54, 55 weeks out from, from surgery. But when will you trust your legs to be like they used to be? That is critical. And nobody has an answer for that. You yeah. And then, and then listen, as if, if, that gets figured out, then there, there's a part of that that is in his shot as well, and then yeah. his shot gets back even better, and, and it all works out. That That's just a time factor, yeah. but it's just something I, I, I can't help but notice. Two other things I, I really want to talk about from the Iona game, um, and they both have to do with, with driving and, and aggression. One, St. Louis has a legitimate issue in letting people get past them on the perimeter defensively. Problem. There's, just, I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. They, they bite on fake screens. They bite on jukes. They bite on head fakes way too much and it just guys get too many free dribble drives in and Iona did a great job of realizing that early and going five out despite the fact that they had the size advantage and then forcing St. Louis to try to make a play on the back end on a switch and they were just too slow to because the the, the drivers like Clayton were just killing St. Louis so there's an issue right now and and it was present early in the season and it hasn't necessarily gotten better so I have to think it's something that Travis is starting to get aggravated with and Iona had a great game plan for it and they attacked it and just St. Louis right now much better inside you know when they when they have the you know two guys close to the block and they can help off and things like that but when they're isolated down low solo or teams are able to spread them out five out and then get past them on the perimeter it's just it's a deluge you know on the other on the other side you know it's interesting because there is a there there's there's a good and a bad here you're 100 right on straight line drives but the other thing that's really odd that's a good thing that you'd like to see it, you know, pick up other aspects, the help defense yeah. has been remarkably good, remarkably good. So if they can find a way to get that energy to stop the one-on-one stuff, then now you're making defensive progress. Yeah, there was. I mean, a couple, a couple bad. There was, you know, one really bad switch between Pickett and Okoro. Um, but I really do think, yeah, when it comes to their switches and their ability to recover on the perimeter and, and and get down low and help when they're not completely spread out, it's pretty good. And then on the other side, talking about driving, Yuri usually picks and chooses his spots to attack so well, and usually it comes to a point where he's passing too much and he finally just rel- re- relents and and attacks. That was not one of those games because there was a lot of points early where I felt like he missed points to attack and he forced passes and Iona was waiting for that. And then as soon as he said, okay, this isn't working, I'm going to try to score, they caught on to that pretty quick and started dropping Shima and Johnson even more. And then there was always one, if not two bodies against him. Again, Got to give credit to Patino. You're going to come yes. up against when he he sometimes is going to figure out a great game plan. That's what those coaches do. But I just think that the one issue right now in Yuri's game is him exactly knowing when to pick his spots to be more aggressive as a scorer as opposed to a passer. And maybe it's just that he's such a good passer, it's hard for him to get out of that mindset and notice those moments. But I just really thought Iona did a good job of noticing his tendencies and then as soon as feeling like he was going to switch, switching with him. The last two games by Yuri Collins that you would term awful have both come against Rick Pitino. Yeah. At home last year against Iona and at Iona this week, Pitino knows what he's doing. Yeah. 
He, yeah, he's he, he's so damn good. And again, I, 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 I'm not saying I want him to be less aggressive. I want him to be as aggressive as he is. It's just space it in different spots and don't and also don't take as many early in the shot clock threes. I say take more threes. I love that he's taking these step backs. That little step back two pointer he took over Shima, I thought was a great shot. He didn't hit it, but I, I love right. him adding that shot to his repertoire. But I just think that in this offense, especially, there were three different possessions one time when they were down by seven, one time when they were down by 12, and another time when they were down by just 13. And all three times, they got a second possession from an offensive rebound, gave it back to Yuri, and he took a three fairly early. And that's just that's just not how this team's going to get points and, and grind out wins. And I think I think that kind of gets back to Travis's comment from a week ago, saying there's shots that guys aren't expecting, and that puts us in a bad position defensively. Yep. So I, I mean, at that point, I thought it was an ugly, you know, it was an ugly game. It kind of gotten out of hand. It had been sloppy. Patino had drawn up a great defensive game plan, but at some point, Slew's going to have to come out and play a, a clean game uh, on the road, and that's that that's something they haven't done yet. You know, right out well, of the gate. I'll see you on. I'll see you on New Year's Eve. Yes, I'm. I'm down for it. New Year's Eve against uh, St. Joe's. Again, it's gonna. It's weird starting the conference season that early, but like you said, right out of the gate, conference game on the road, right around a holiday. It's gonna be a weird one. It's gonna be a good test. And speaking of good tests, we're gonna have um, Boise State coming up on Saturday. We're actually gonna talk to BJ Rain, St. Louis, who covers the Broncos out there in Boise State. We're gonna talk to him tomorrow. We're gonna have that uh, episode for you earlier on Saturday as kind of a pregame primer. But before we head off today, I, I want to hit two quick things on the NBA. One is my point. One is Rammer's points. My first point really quick has to be the fact that after an incredible run by the Lakers, Anthony Davis catches the flu and it hits a, and it hits a complete roadblock. But the amount of quick positivity from Lakers fans, I want to say, it's impressive because they were completely, we suck. We're never going to be good again. We're not going to get this, this draft pick because of these, these dumb trades. And, and so it, it's all in the doldrums. They completely flipped the switch and now it's, you know, sunshine. Everything's going great. I like the positivity, but you know, let's see if Anthony Davis can do this for longer than, you know, a seven game stretch before getting hit by the flu again. I want the Lakers to be good, but I'm, I'm going to need like, two more of these stretches between now and mid-January before I buy there anything better than what my man Tim Legler said. Again, best case scenario, nine seed. I'm still sticking with it, Rammer, even after this incredible run, even after everything we saw from Davis, I'm sticking with Tim Legler. Best case scenario, unless they prove me wrong by mid-January, best case scenario, nine seed. I don't want to uh, put a damper on your timetable. I still wouldn't be, I still wouldn't be on board because – NBA players are too fragile, and Davis in particular. I would be, I'd just be waiting for the next back injury or ankle or something coming up. But um, I, I appreciate your positivity about looking forward. We'll see. And I'm, hey, listen, I'm willing to admit when I was wrong. I was wrong. I, I, I was very wrong about Jason Kidd and the Mavericks last year. I don't think I'm going to be wrong about the Lakers this year. But again, mid January, you know, nice little, you know. Nice little winter surprise for me to say, you know, I was wrong and LeBron James is incredible and Anthony Davis is going to be healthy and I'm going to have to sit through another Lakers playoff run. But I severely doubt I'm actually going to have to talk about that. Anybody who's watched uh, the two-man game in the last few weeks have my uh, constant drumbeat of 
the NBA has a real problem in resting players, in particular when they go on the road. I guess the theory is, well, you want to rest players. Okay, I get that. The real problem is too many games. Okay, we get rid of that because that's not going to change. we got to rest our players. So they do it on the road. And, and the NBA thinks, well, home teams are then going to win, and the home fans are happy. I'm telling you, as a fan, people want to see the stars. Yeah, They want their paying yeah. top dollar to see the other stars, too. It's a mistake. It's become an epidemic. Now, I say that to come up with my new theory. And, of course, I'm not going to do the homework on it, handing the homework off to you. Got it. That at this point in the season, the only real wins and losses that have any value are what you do on the road. Road wins are the only thing that I can really get a look at who's good and who's not good yet. And and here's the thing, it's crazy because it you know it it pretty much tracks for the most part. I mean, we've talked already on this podcast about how the Boston Celtics are the best team in the NBA. You know, they just they just had a big win over the uh, Phoenix Suns in in Phoenix. You know, their numbers are huge, best defensive team, best offensive team, three point three point shooting, so, so on and so forth. They're ten and three on the on the road right now, far and away the best road record in the NBA. So right there, it tracks right behind them. The Milwaukee Bucks are six and three. That's one of the that is the second best road record in the entire NBA. And you'd probably say that the top two teams this year have been the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. And but but the interesting thing there is after them, you get down to teams with a winning road record right now are the Denver Nuggets at eight and seven. The LA Clippers at seven and six, the Portland Trailblazers at eight and six, and a 50 50 team, the New York Knicks at six and six. That's yeah. it. That is the I mean, only teams that have an above 500 record or 500, I should 500 or better away from their home arena right now. Yeah. Now that, that tells me these are teams that are playing well. And they're good teams, and they're probably deep because often they're not playing stars when they're on the road. I'm not saying this is a predictor for postseason because what's going to happen is as we get later in the year, more of your stars are going to play more on the road to kind of set up uh, standings and seating for postseason. But for right now, I just don't. I just don't think the regular standings have really any value at all. To that point, the Golden State Warriors right now are eleven and two at home, two and eleven away. The Dallas Mavericks, who currently sit seventh in the West right now, are ten and three at home and three and eight in away games right now. The Phoenix Suns, twelve and three at home, four and six in away games. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, eleven and one at home, five and eight away right now. They're the third seed in the East. Every you should win all of your home games the way the the way the league is set up currently because somebody good on the visiting team is not going to play that night and sometimes two or three guys you should win every home game. Yeah, here's the thing. I, like I said, the, the Knicks are six and six away. They got to be better than six and seven at home. No, I'm sorry. If teams are coming to New York. That's got to be like L.A. That's got to be like Miami. There is a second level of home field advantage. Not only are you playing at MSG, which actually might actually take against them because there's nothing that an, M- an NBA player wants more than to ball out against the Knicks in MSG, 
not that I take away from him, but I mean, come on, you're in New York. You should be getting that that nightlife home field advantage. They got they got to pick up the pace here. Come on now. I, and by the way, I, I I talk about that. The Lakers are six and six at home, but again, they kind of suck. Um, and Miami Heat, who have been struggling this season, are eight and five at home and three and nine away. There's that nightlife home field advantage I'm I'm looking for. Thank you, Miami. You never fail to give me that. <laughs> well, Rammer, I'm going to be watching this all season because I love what you're saying. Obviously, everyone knows the the players sitting out, especially the back to backs, is bad. The fact that we have been had we've had to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers as this nebulous question mark weird thing for like two three years because of both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George has been annoying if we would if this was a normal team and we could have seen these guys for 160 games these last two years it would completely change I think how we talk about the Clippers and maybe how we even view the entire Western Conference but we have no idea because again this is this weird hazy thing going yeah. on in, in with the Clippers and because they never play them and that's that's been annoying. So that's something we're definitely going to keep our eye on. It's going to be tricky, tough to keep our eye on it because the players keep getting hurt, keep getting the flu, keep showing up in street clothes. Definitely not a shot against Anthony Davis. Um, <laughs> I had I had to do it. I'm sorry. I can't help but take shots at the Los Angeles Lakers, and I have to because in a season where I have to take a bunch of shots against the Los Angeles Lakers, I have to keep reaffirming and admitting that the Boston Celtics are the best team in the NBA. Yeah, it's a, it's a yin and yang kind of thing, Bob Ramsey. Okay. All right. That has been the two-man game for today. Again, we're going to be back here uh, on Saturday morning talking about the Boise State Broncos facing off against the St. Louis Billikens, breaking down that matchup with B.J. Reigns, who covers the Broncos. We'll give you a nice primer for that matchup on Saturday. Have a little NBA talk at the end of that show as well. Until then, stay cool, St. Louis. Rammer, before we go, tell everybody about Royal Banks of Missouri. Royal Banks of Missouri, you know, um, trying to find good rates right now are, are very hard. The Fed's making it hard on folks, but Royal Banks is going to find the best program to help you achieve your financial goals. 314-212-1500 or online to royalbanksofmo.com. Royal Banks for better service means better banking. Have a great day, St. Louis. As one of St. Louis's largest veteran-owned companies, St. Louis Acura knows what it means to serve. As we head into the holiday season, St. Louis Acura is collecting toys for tots for the United States Marine Corps and a clothing drive for local military charities and churches. Each donation can earn a gift from our boutique or a discount on a vehicle service or car wash. Please help us help others this holiday season, and thank you for helping St. Louis Acura become one of the area's top 50 fastest-growing businesses for 2021.